Bear With Me is back after a couple weeks hiatus, and I'm joined today by E.J. Snyder and Jeff Burkus to hand out some end-of-season awards. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody? Slightly different greeting today, but as you can probably tell, this is a part one podcast. I've never split a podcast in two before, but the end of season awards, we ended up titling them the Staley's that I filmed with or recorded, whatever, with EJ and Jeff ended up being about an hour and a half. So for the pure sake of listenership, I have split them in two. I'll release the other half once it's edited, probably in a couple of days, but for now i don't want to keep you waiting any longer and i certainly wanted to change up the greeting i'm robert schmitz host of bear with me and let's go ahead and get into the staley's it is a lot of fun enjoy what's up everybody and welcome back to bear with me which is now bear with me bears over beers because i've got the wonderful co-hosts ej snyder and jeff burke is here on with me to help celebrate the end of the season ring it in properly with the bearskers or the golden bears honestly i'm still workshopping the title because nobody knows what a bearsker means and i found that out firsthand talking to jeff and ej about it so With that in mind, we're here to give out some end-of-season awards, and I'm excited to get the show rolling. But before we do, Jeff, EJ, how are y'all doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. we got to come up with a better name, though. We all know that, because Golden Bears is California, and we've got nothing to do with Berkeley. So, no. uh, Other than that, really excited to recap the season. Uh, Even though there were lots of ups and downs, I think we'll have some fun. I think so, too. And not to mention, I wanted to wait until after the Super Bowl, because while there were plenty of things to talk about over the last few weeks, things like hiring John DeFilippo and other changes in the Bears coaching org, I honestly feel like the stink of this season, as disappointing as it was, because we're allowed to say that it was a disappointing year, was enough that giving ourselves some time to breathe, uh, let it in, let it out, and come back with a fresh set of eyes to recap how things were, ends us up sounding a lot less upset And a lot more just, hey, here's how it was. What do y'all think? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think maybe we call it the Staley's. Mm. Oh, that I like. Oh, that's that's great. That's that's going in it now. That'll be the title. The Staley's. Here we go. Way better. Way better. Let's start it off with the the first Staley that I want to talk through is best coach. And for those listening at home, we are going to be using a random number generator system to decide a judge of the three of us. And our first judge is EJ. So EJ will be judging the options that Jeff and I present. Jeff, would you like to present yours first? Yeah, sure. So my nominee is uh, Mark DeLeon who is the inside linebackers coach. So the inside linebackers had the biggest two issues with Roquan and with uh, uh, Trevathan missing time. And both of the backups, Kwiatkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis, stepped in without any issues and played incredibly well. And so for me, that's a really good sign that they're well coached. And so I think that he is an excellent candidate to get the first Staley. 
That is a great nominee. I brought or I came forth with another defensive coach because unfortunately offense was an issue this year with Chuck Pagano, because as the coordinator, I know he was going to be filling huge shoes with Vic Fangio leaving. And he came in and the defense played with violence for the first three weeks. They were aggressive. They were assaulting teams, but that's right around the time that the Bears figured out four weeks, actually, now that I think about it. That's about the time when the Bears figured out that their offense was going to struggle throughout the year. And we saw Pagano change the defense's entire mentality. And it was still successful. He went from just killing people with blitz, 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 back to a more conservative, let's just try to limit their scoring to about 20 points or less. And they were able to do that. They were still one of the most productive defenses in the country. I thought he stepped in with big shoes to fill. He filled them in his own way and keeps us looking forward to next year. Chuck Pagano is my nominee. Fair enough. I appreciate uh, your rationale. I have a lot of respect for what Pagano did. He did have huge shoes to fill, and the defense maintained a very high level. Um, but you lose. Mark DeLeone, the inside linebackers coach, uh, was my choice as well. Uh, we should tell everybody that we don't talk about these beforehand, but we don't. Uh, there were lots of instances on the Bears of backups stepping in this year. Plenty of guys got injured or missed time, and some of them performed uh, well, and some of them performed very, very poorly. And that does reflect on the coach and the coach's ability to get those guys ready. The next man up is definitely the philosophy in the NFL. And nobody did that better than DeLeone this year because both uh, Nick Kwiatkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis played at extremely high levels in the absence of their colleagues. And so he gets the vote. Mark DeLeone gets the Staley. And see, that is exactly why we have the judge here, because now we're able to settle things. Great way to do it. Mark DeLeone, congratulations on your Staley. Let's now move into our second topic. This is the 2019 offseason move of the year. It can be anything. And the random number generator says, I'm the judge. So, EJ, let's go ahead and have you present first. No worries. We had some debate about this category, whether it was the offseason move of the year from the most recent season, which makes the most sense for this award show, or the one we think we need to make moving into 2020. We settled on the one for 2019, so the offseason preceding this past football season. And I think probably the best offseason move of the year was signing Buster Screen. And I didn't think that was the best move at the time. But as it played out over the season, I think screen played extremely well, was a pivotal part of Chuck Pagano's scheme and defense, did a much better job even than I thought he might do. I thought he'd do okay. Uh, I thought he played extremely well. So I'm going to go with signing Buster Screen. I like screen. It's a good answer. My answer is uh, Cordell Patterson. Uh, I, I like the name. I'm shocked. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, I'm number one Patterson fan around here, but... Uh, just br basically solved the kick return problem that we were having huge issues with in the past. And then the special teams presence that he brought was unbelievable. I've never seen a better gunner in my entire life. That is amazing what he was able to do. If uh, O'Donnell had even an average punt, Patterson was waiting for the punt next to the returner. And how many that he downed inside of the five was a testament to his his abilities as well. And so and the fact that you get even a little bit of juice on offense from him from time to time is just it's just gravy. So for me, Patterson just really solved huge issues and he was well worth uh, the money that he's earning and my favorite signing of the offseason. I mean, hey, 
there's no denying that Patterson and Screen are both awesome signings. I have to lean towards Screen purely because we're getting a punt returner and gunner. <clears throat> we're getting a punt returner gunner for $5 million for the exact same price. We're getting a nickel corner. Apologies. I don't know what's going on here. Mm. Your your body's a, yeah. telling you that you're wrong, and then she needs. To <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, All right, but I so... gotta I gotta ask one question of my of my esteemed co-host. What you did got? You ever, did you ever watch a guy named Steve Tasker? Well, yeah, but not on the not wearing navy and orange. Oh oh oh! I see. <laughs> Never seen a better gunner was what I heard, and I kind of. <laughs> Okay. On the on the Bears. Oh, on I, the Bears. No. Yeah, no now no, no. now bears. there I yeah, much yeah. easier agreement on that one. Okay. But either Glad way, it's one of those things where I could even have taken Haha Clinton Dix purely because of that two million dollar contract value, but because he's a free agent, it was a one year deal. I have to lean towards screen. He's here for a while. He solved a nickel position that we were really worried about with Bryce Callahan leaning or leaving, and he filled it so well we forgot about it being a problem by the end of the year. I'm giving him this daily. Let's now move on to the third option. EJ, looks like you're the judge again for biggest storyline heading into 2020. And I'll go ahead and lead off with this. I think it's obvious. I think the biggest storyline is without a doubt what is going to happen at quarterback this offseason because Mitchell Trubisky struggled. We could do entire podcasts. Some people have about that topic. And as we head into 2020 with Matt Nagy, certainly, I mean, I would think he would be the unquestioned play caller and Mitch Trubisky struggling with many different kinds of looks and having been given many different kinds of looks to try, the question becomes what sort of competition, if any, is going to be brought in? Ryan Pace gave the impression that there isn't going to be any competition at the press conference Every beat reporter from Johns to Hogue to any of them big certainly have all suggested competitions coming. So the question, in my opinion, becomes what level is that? Are we looking at a Cam Newton, Derek Carr? Are we looking at an Andy Dalton, Case Keenum? But either way, I think it's all about the quarterback, the most position on the team. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, I had written down the quarterback room. I think that that's a we're in agreement there. I think if we step back a minute and think about last year, I think a lot of people said kicker which I've always thought was ridiculous that we spent so much time worrying about the kicker, but that, that was where we were at last year. But it's absolutely just the quarterback room. You know, who are they going to add? How are they going to add it? You know, we saw <laughs> Twitter this morning. There was some weird report that the Bears are talking to the Bengals about the number one overall pick. And I kind of am blasting that because the capital required to move up there is just not something that the Bears have. But, you know, it seems like anything – associated with quarterback and the bears right now is believable so it's absolutely the biggest storyline for sure if i was writing any article just to chime in and i needed a list of five teams and i only had four in terms of quarterback stuff you better believe i'm throwing the bears in because nobody's gonna bat an eye but ej is it fair to give the quarterback the staley absolutely i don't think we need a judge here and I I'll just throw my own spin on it. I know what Pace said. I know what the Bears are doing. I know what they have to do in terms of public relations. You're never going to say you're publicly out on a player until you have a decent option to replace them. Um, I'm just going to put my stake in the ground. I think the Bears are out on Mitch. I don't um, I don't have any sources. I don't have anything to you know base that on. That's that's factual. This is my own personal opinion. I think. Pace is playing poker. I think Nagy is done 
with Mitch. They might keep him on the roster as a deep backup, but I actually think the Bears double dip at quarterback. I think they sign a decent free agent, at least a mid-level free agent that can be a bridge. Maybe they go for more if somebody like Teddy Bridgewater shakes loose. But I also think they either draft or bring in a UDFA. I think they completely work, rework the QB room with without really figuring Mitch into it. That's a big prediction, but honestly, there's not a ton to say that you're wrong about that. Certainly, it seems as if there's wavering going on. That Week 11 game against the Rams was weird, but again, that we've, we've got the Staley decided, so it's time to move on to our next category, which is, and I tend to doubt there's going to be much debate about this, but who knows, player most in need of a contract extension. And the random numbers generator says, I am the judge, so JB, present your case. So it would have been an interesting conversation if Eddie Jackson hadn't already been extended, right? Um, that that was my biggest move that I talked about in preseason shows with EJ, that that this was going to be the biggest move for Ryan Pace coming into this offseason. So that's already taken care of. He already put that on the book, so that's really great. So I think that you're probably talking about Allen Robinson as the obvious choice, but I'm also just going to say that they have to re-sign one of those inside linebackers. And so you can make an argument for Nick Kwiatkowski as the guy that you do because he's homegrown and he's uh, coming up for a second contract. He's young. He showed out a lot this year. And I think that's something where you really need to take care of that because he's a free agent, whereas Robinson still has one year left on his deal. And so for me, I'm going to say it's actually Kwiatkowski. Interesting. I'm going to go with Robinson. I'm going to take the the layup here. I absolutely agree with you that inside linebacker it needs a ton of focus. If you look at that position right now, there's no sure thing on the Bears roster um, besides Roquan. He's obviously signed and going to be there, but who plays beside him is a huge question mark. A um, couple of options there with Kwiatkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis, but got to get one of them signed up, and I can – Absolutely see that as the 1B, but I'm going with Robinson. Robinson is an alpha player at a premium position. He wants to be a bear. He has said so. If he stays with even marginal quarterbacking, he will destroy the Chicago Bears receiving records, uh, which is a sad state on the receiving records, but it's awesome that a player like Robinson wants to take a shot at that. I think you make that happen. Um, there are lots of options at receiver, but Robinson has proved that he is healthy, that he is productive and that he wants to be here. And he's a team guy. You reward that. It speaks volumes to the rest of the locker room. So as the judge, here's where I'm at. Every team wants to reward good play. <clears throat> We're talking every team. And as we saw with Seattle a couple of years ago, eventually the money runs out and you can't, but with that said, the money hasn't run out yet for the Bears, and they recently rewarded Akeem Hicks, like a while ago, with a big contract extension. They also rewarded Charles Leno. Allen Robinson, after a nasty season, was the obvious load carrier last year, and I think rewarding him, like you said, EJ, sets a great precedent. If you want a technicality, JB, technically, Kwiatkowski wouldn't be a contract extension as much as he would be a new contract, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So let's let's just call it a technicality. We'll give it to Robinson here, because like you said, uh, EJ, if he does stick around, those Bears receiving re records are very vulnerable. We don't we haven't had a long term receiver. In fact, I think Brandon Marshall might be up there in at least a couple of those categories in the top three. And he was here for, what, four years. So 
I would love to see somebody take a shot at those. Kwiatkowski's a very big signing, but I've got him for a different category, so we'll leave him for that. So, uh, Robert, can I just real quick, off the top of my head, the franchise leaders in receiving. Most catches, Walter Payton. Most yards, Johnny Morris. And most touchdown is Ken Cavanaugh from the 40s. So that, that's off the top of my head. I could be wrong. Uh-huh. Fact check me. But um, you're real those, close. Those, <laughs> yeah. uh, the, those those are the the numbers. Now, receiver with the most catches. I'm not I'm not sure. Maybe that maybe that's Marshall. Uh, I, you know, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but but yeah, that's those those go back. Uh, oh, yeah. a Long ways. Last time I looked it up, I was shocked at how much Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall were in those. And they were good players. I'm by no means suggesting they weren't. But they didn't have those long careers you expect of a franchise guy. And that's where it really dawned on me that maybe the Bears never have. Robinson. Well, not in the modern era. Robinson can break the receiving record and the receiving yard record in three years. That is just wild to think about. So let's move on to the next daily. And appropriately, we've got JB as the judge, which I say because he hasn't judged yet. And we are going for player most likely to break out next year. EJ, who do you have? I'm going to go with David Montgomery. Montgomery played really hard all year. And I don't think anyone, if they did, I didn't see anyone predict the Bears offensive line falling apart as hard as it did. It was perceived as a strength. And very solid going into the season. The Bears have invested both in the draft and, as you mentioned, with contract money for the offensive line. Felt like there were five very good starters. Kyle Long coming in healthy, or so we thought. No surgeries for the first time in a while. Everything looked like a strength for the O-line. Looked like a perfect setup for a rookie like Montgomery who runs hard to come in, have some holes, and really punish some defenders at the second level. We all know that that didn't pan out. That didn't keep Montgomery from running really, really hard. He showed his receiving versatility when he got the chance. Um, He never gave up. He just didn't quit. And if he gets even average blocking in front of him, and I'm excited about the Juan Castillo hire and think that the run game is going to get ironed out a bit. And if that happens, David Montgomery is going to show the rest of the NFL to stop paying attention when the Bears started losing, that he's one of the top third running backs in the NFL if he gets a little bit of support. I completely agree. David Montgomery was my choice as well. Uh, So for those of you who don't know, I recently did completed and finally put out a big video on Charles Leno. That meant I was watching a lot of the offensive line. And look, if I came away with anything after that study, it's that I could not. I was very understanding of Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace's decision to let Harry Heastan go because I was shocked at how often, whether in run blocking or pass blocking, the offensive line seemed to be very confused on their own responsibilities. You've got guys who are quite literally, they would have two people double team somebody and then both people would leave and that guy would make the play. And it was like, I, I don't think both of these guys are supposed to come off. One of them's making a mistake. They would have minimum four mental mistakes a game. So if the Bears can replace the hole that they have at right guard, because Rashad Coward really struggled, I would love to see David Montgomery, who's receiving flashed way better than I expected it to. I was expecting David Montgomery to run a little bit harder than Jordan Howard and catch a little bit better, but he looked like a legitimate receiving weapon. I mean, I especially remember that, what was it, Oakland, where he caught a ball, 
as he was getting hit, still shuffed the guy off and picked up about six to ten yards. I mean, this is a guy who, if you get him the ball in space, he'll make it work for you. He had no space last year, and he still put up a yards per carry average that it's bad, but it's not as bad as it could have or should have been. He, assuming the Bears' offensive line gets any better, is easily my candidate for a breakout year. JB, what you got? Well, you both agreed, but let me just say this, that for David Montgomery to break out, he basically need he's already a, an established starter, right? And he had the bulk of the carries. And so for him to break out, basically that means like a Pro Bowl season, in my mind. Do you guys feel comfortable with that as your uh, as, as a metric? I think above average yards per carry because it was one of the league's worst counts as a breakout year, but I hear where you're coming from. With as low as the bar is to get into the Pro Bowl, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> okay, oh, fair gosh. enough. Uh, so to me, the way that I was thinking about it, it's fine. You guys, two two to one, I'll, I'll give it to you. But I was just going to say, I was trying to project a roster battle. Uh, you know, So someone like Alex Bars to fill that Kyle Long role, you know, fully removed from that injury, uh, someone who can step in and be a starter. You know, that's a breakout for Alex Bars. Uh, let's say that uh, Taylor Gabriel gets cut, opens up room for Riley Ridley to come in. Um, you know, that's a that's him breaking out uh, to, to get, you know, 50 catches, something like that. Uh, you know, maybe maybe uh, uh, screen is a is a casual cap casualty and uh, Duke Shelley steps in to that role and maybe he can he can fill it. Maybe their confidence is there. So I was trying to make a, a roster competition argument but um i'm, I'm okay with I, I i would love it if montgomery broke out so um we'll, we'll give it to him it'd be great david montgomery gets the staley it'll be really interesting to see these 2020 roster roster battles honestly it's hard to talk about the offseason and sound so excited because it's sometimes it almost makes it sound like we're more excited about the offseason than the actual part where they play football but again that's that's its own thing wait Let's move. what's what's wrong with that <laughs> of course, EJ would jump in there. <laughs> Let's move on to our next daily category, most underrated player, where it looks like, JB, you've been given the judge responsibility once again. I'll start out. Uh, now, I understand that this could easily be just recency bias, but I have heard a lot of people lambast Charles Leno, the left tackle, and I actually thought he was one of our best offensive linemen this last year. As I kept watching it, yes, of course, he made mistakes. But you have to remember that more often than not, he took on the clear toughest matchup on the team, except for Nick Bosa, who lined up over Bobby Massey almost the entire game because he recognized the difference in skill level. And he, he played a very good game there. But anyways... Charles Leno is a consistent run blocker. It's not even the strength of his game, but he still led the team to the best directional yards per carry on our poor run blocking offensive line, which is it the tallest midget? Maybe, but either way, he's the tallest. And he was a pretty solid pass blocker as well. Given the amount of people that want to cut him, I thought he was the easy choice for underrated player. But EJ, what do you have? Leno was my backup. And I'm with you thinking that we that the Bears should cut Charles Leno is a uh, boy. I want to be nice, but I just can't. It's a moronic take. Um, Left tackles don't grow on trees. Leno played solidly. 
it not spectacularly certainly had his lapses, but they were nowhere near as bad or as uh, amplified as folks thought they were. So my choice is another guy that I mentioned already, Buster Screen. I had very average expectations for him, and if he'd met those, I think that would have been fine. I really think he exceeded them and got almost no fanfare for that. He played every week. He was making plays. Uh, the folks he was matched up against, for the most part, did not make plays when he was targeted. Um, yards per catch and overall yards and touchdowns were very low. I think he outplayed his contract, if anything, and did so very, very quietly. So I gave him the most underrated player of the year. JB, what do you think? So this is interesting because I didn't have this is my answer, right? So my answer was I was going to go one of two directions had this fallen on me. I was going to say it was Hicks because when he got hurt, the defense fell from elite down to just like really good. And he yep. unlocks Mac. And so there's there's something where we're not, you know, I don't, I think we talked about it on our show, EJ, but like, I don't know that we as Bear fans talk about just how good Akeem Hicks is. And he gets overshadowed by Mac, but if Hicks is on the field, that makes Mac that much better. So he is so important to that defensive line. And then the other guy I would have been willing to make a, a case for was Kyle Fuller because he mm. made the Pro Bowl again. And like EJ said, too little fanfare. And he, when I was going back and trying to, for a different category, uh, trying to figure out best plays, uh, Kyle Fuller's plays kept popping up. And he really had a, a, an excellent season. And so I, I don't think that Bears fans think of Kyle Fuller in the top cornerback echelon that they should. And so that I, w- I wanted to make one of those two arguments. But if I'm picking between the two. No, I'll jump the fence for Fuller for all the same reasons that I gave for screen that you just gave. Um, yeah, he played very well. He played very effectively, very what I would call quietly. And yeah, I would absolutely swing underrated to Fuller for all the same reasons that I named for screen. And I'll move mine to a split decision. I don't know if that's allowed, but I still think Leno in terms of what his thought about him versus his actual output gets a really bad rap. But you're absolutely right that I'm thinking back about eight of the games that we can think or that we had minimum five, maximum eight involve a specific Kyle Fuller play, whether it's a pass defense that he broke on that tackle in week 13 against Detroit. Like there were some defining moments from Kyle Fuller that kept us at eight and eight. The, the argument could easily be made that if Kyle Fuller loses a season and it's Prince of Mookamur and, and uh, Kevin Tolliver for the entire year that the bears don't make it to eight and eight, like just with that one loss. And that's as underrated as it gets. Screen's another good one because, I mean, for crying out loud, I forgot about him, which is really weird to say about somebody that covers the team like I do because he was just so good he became invisible. Either way, I'll go 50-50 on uh, Leno and Fuller. All right, so I guess we give it to Fuller then. (laughs) Sounds good to me. And I have to throw this in there, Jeff. It's funny you mentioned about Hicks because I remember in last year's Bearskers, I uh, I tried to give Hicks the most valuable bear. Uh, straight up and you were like nah it's clearly Mac and you had a great argument so we went with that but I've been so high on Hicks for so long that I forgot that anybody else hadn't noticed it until this season and because you're absolutely right as soon as he went out everything dried up suddenly there was no pass rush and people were like where did it go and wow he is just such an impact player I actually think we'd have to go back and roll the tape but I actually think we ended up giving it to him 
Oh, maybe we did. Because I think I started off with Eddie Jackson. And we did. You neither picked back, back argument. And you made the Hicks argument. And we, we ended up giving it to Hicks. Then we made a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> because he really is. I mean, he's just huge on this team. But we've got plenty of categories to get to. Let's go to most surprising player. Random number generator says that EJ is the judge. I'll start out. I think it's white Nick, Nick Kwiatkowski, because I came into this season pretty convinced that he couldn't cover, and he shocked me in that regard. He didn't elevate to best linebacker or best cover linebacker on the team, but wow, when the especially when Roquan also went out and it became Nick Kwiatkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis, I really thought our inside linebackers were going to be a weakness, and gosh, I mean, they may have improved in terms of the way they were playing. Obviously, I'm talking very speculatively and a bit tongue-in-cheek, but Kevin er, but Nick Kutowski has always been a hammer against the run. And so when he became somebody that you could rely on in coverage, even to just take care of basic responsibilities, he went from depth player to, hey, may- maybe this guy could start for a couple of years. And that was a jump that, again, of all the players to make it, I really didn't see it coming from Nick. And so that's who I picked. Okay, so I think that's an excellent choice. I will not be upset if that it goes there. Uh, I think Kevin Pierre Lewis actually also deserves some some air because <laughs> did you know who Kevin Pierre Lewis was before the season started? Of course, not. I did. Right. The other only <laughs> other guy that I can really think of is Nick Williams. If he hadn't fallen off in the back half of the season, right, he's a right. really easy choice. So those are the guys I was playing with. For me, it's Kevin Pierre-Lewis because I didn't know who he was. And when he came in, I was like, okay, well, we're in a lot of trouble. And Quit was at least a serviceable player, although he got exposed in the passing game. And maybe you learn about that and you can hide it. That was an incredibly pleasant surprise that he was able to improve that part of his game. But for me, Kevin Pierre-Lewis came out of nowhere and played incredibly well to the point where I was like, do we re-sign Kevin Pierre-Lewis to be a starter next year? So to me, that that's the most surprising player. EJ? Interesting. <laughs> I like all the arguments. I had Kwiatkowski down, uh, mostly because JB and I rode him so hard in preseason podcasts as a Same. liability. Because he had been exposed versus the pass, and it's a passing league. So we got all over Nick, and uh, after about midseason, it wasn't even midseason, we gave our mea culpa on Bears Over Beers. We openly apologized to Nick and said, hey man, you proved us wrong, and we are thoroughly excited about that. Keep it up. You're doing a great job. So I had Kwiatkowski, not because I thought it was greater necessarily than what Kevin Pierre-Lewis did, but... Because, spoiler alert, I've got him in an upcoming category, and I was just spreading the love. So I've got Nick Wachowski for most surprising player. There you go. That's it. I think that's a great pick. And this moves us on to a similar, I I would say it's a similar category, Newcomer of the Year, which is a bit more wide open, and in my opinion, it's a bit more emotional. It's like the difference between Offensive MVP and Face of the Franchise Award. So Random Number Generator says that, EJ, you are once again the judge. Uh, Jeff, would you like to go first? Well, for me, it's Patterson. Uh, Again, one of the biggest weaknesses was the kick return game. He solved it, and again, uh, I think our special teams was one of those units that we really glossed over wasn't very good at covering punts or kicks and Patterson has really changed that as well. And so 
he changed two phases of the special teams and he gave some juice on offense from time to time. And I just, I, I, I like his energy. I like that he wanted to be here. It's fun to have that guy on the team. And uh, I just, I really respect his game. So for me, he, he easily won that category. I picked him too. I won't make any bones about it. So last year in 2019, the Bears special teams were buoyed by two players, in my opinion. Tariq Cohen, who made our punt, our punt returns, something to be legitimately feared, and Sherrick McManus, who's quite the cover player. But Patterson came in, and like I don't know much about the most recent edition of Madden, because I honestly haven't played it, but if you were going to give an impact award to a gunner, Patterson gets it wow he was able to just fly down the field do exactly what bellamy was able to do which was often catch the kicked punt at the at a short yardage because pat o'donnell actually had himself a pretty solid season too but we don't need to go down that road either way like you're saying when you pick up a player like that who ends up on tons of highlight reels making big emotional plays certainly could have swung that week 15 packers game by himself on that uh, play that was called for was it uh early hit was that the actual penalty? Because I can't remember what it was. But the kick catch interference. Yes, that's it. The kick catch interference call that we all know was poor. But he made impact plays. He scored a touchdown, kick returning. He had that 33 yard gain against Dallas that was really big. He was, I think, a real juice uh, and a spark plug to the special teams and offense. He's my pick. Got it. Well, I am most impressed with Robert's restraint calling the penalty on Patterson poor. <laughs> um, I have a completely different description of that play, but um, since this is probably a family podcast, we'll leave that go. This was my category for Kevin Pierre-Lewis, but I absolutely agree with both of you on your Patterson takes. I will give the award to Patterson. Uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis gets the honorable mention as a guy that was supposed to be kind of a nothing, backup depth, uh, special teams, wasn't really supposed to see the field, is a bit of a journeyman, started as I scouted him at Boston College, liked his game, he was a little undersized, ended up going to the Seahawks, playing a similar role, backup linebacker, special teams, not many people knew his name, came in and played way above even my expectations, I certainly did not expect to get that much out of him, so this is where I was going to give him some love but i think uh absolutely all the reasons that you gave for patterson are legitimate and uh he really came on later in the season my first impression of patterson in the first at training camp it was wow that guy's big mm. in person and holy cow is he fast but we knew the fast part but he's an imposing physical guy the first three or four weeks, I wasn't really that thrilled because you're paying a guy $5 million and he wanted to return everything. And I'm not going to discredit him for that. You want to make an impact. You want to prove you're worth it. He made some really questionable decisions in the first month about returns. And after that, if you had made your opinion and just written him off, as a lot of fans do with first impressions, wouldn't have been great, but he continued to get better. He continued to come on as a gunner on the other phase of special teams. His return choices got better and more explosive, and he really turned around an area that was a uh, was lagging pretty far behind, and, and I'd say he even saved Chris Tabor's job uh, as the special teams coach because last year's special teams was terrible. This year's special teams was mm, slightly above average, and Except a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of that had to do with Patterson. So uh, the Staley goes to Patterson. You know, it's funny. I just have to add this on one more time. Uh, transparently, 
he I thought uh, he was such a good addition, but his contract just didn't quite fit offseason move of the year. That said, it is not often, I think, that you pay somebody to be a special teams ace and kind of a wide receiving threat, and he, he actually makes it worth his $5 million. Because by the end of the season, I don't know how you guys felt, it really felt as if you, you just sat there saying, I don't know what this team would be like without Cordero Patterson next year. Did anybody else get that impression? It felt like he was earning it, certainly by the end of the year. And frankly, before the end of the year, after about the first month. So for the last three quarters, the greater balance of the season, that guy was making plays. And that's what you want guys you pay to do, right? You want them to show up. And he was showing up in a couple of different phases. And like JB said earlier, he got he got some flashes on offense. Again, they kind of used him incorrectly while they were trying to figure that out in the first, I don't know, third of the season. And then the opportunities started to hit a little bit more. And that's just extra. That's just icing on the cupcake. Yeah, mm-hmm. people on Twitter want to still are trying to cut him or trade him. And I, I just I don't like to fight with people too often on Twitter. But that's one where I'm like, nope, not for me. He's, <laughs> he's sticking here. I, I like him a lot. Perfect. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our next category. This one's going to take a bit. The next two, actually, are going to take a bit to uh, towards the negative. We are looking at biggest disappointment, and I am the judge. So how about EJ starts? Uh, this was this was the toughest one to unpack, and I didn't do a good job. I just kind of punted. Uh, the biggest disappointment for me was the entire season. There was so much hype. So much expectation, and and rightfully so. I was on that train. I believed, many other folks believed, everybody thought that all the pieces were in place for, uh, at the very worst, a deep playoff run. And from week one, it became pretty clear that this team uh, lacked balance and was not going to achieve those heights if they didn't clean it up pretty quickly. And the bottom line, spoiler alert, they didn't. So if we need to get more specific, uh, it's really on Mitch Trubisky and his inability to progress. Does that mean I think the entire season hinges on Mitch's performance? No, it does not. Football is a team sport, but if we have to pick folks out, it's Mitch, the O-line, and just for honorable or maybe dishonorable mention, Tariq Cohen. Um, (laughs) That guy fell off the shelf. Um, it wasn't that he wasn't trying hard. wasn't that he wasn't playing hard. wasn't that he wasn't representing the Bears well. He does all those things. I really like Tariq Cohen as a player, but man, if you look at his effectiveness between last year and this year, it's just a worlds of difference. So I said the entire season, I couldn't pick between Mitch, the O-line, and Cohen. I, I just thought all those things fell apart, so have at it. <laughs> Yeah, I started off with biggest disappointing appointment is at the record. All right. So there, yeah. there's that. Um, and then my next was Trubisky's regression. I think we've talked a lot about that in all of our podcasts. And Trubisky going backwards was kind of a shock. I did not have Cohen. He still caught 79 balls. A lot of them were like behind the line of scrimmage. I don't think that they gave him a lot of good matchups like they did in 2018. He wasn't burning linebackers. He was on slot corners. And so defenses adjusted and I don't think they were putting him in, in a very good position to succeed. So I'm kind of giving Cohen a, a break, but I, I really think it comes down to the quarterback. You know, it's the most important position in, in all of sports and uh, you know, Trubisky just did not progress. He did not 
take the the 201 course or whatever it was uh, that Matt Nagy was talking about. He seemed like he had to retake 101 and that he was getting a worse grade in 101 than he did in 2018. And so I, I, I think it's Trubisky. And I will just say, and, and EJ and I have talked about a lot about this offline, this season broke a lot of people. It broke a lot of the people that cover this game, a lot of the people that we write with on Windy City and people that uh, write for other sites and a lot of fans. And maybe my biggest disappointment is just in how much damage this season did to a lot of smart football fans. I think those are so I I don't know if you technically each picked anything. Because you named a lot of things. Uh, nope, we didn't. But uh, I okay. Uh, let me let me explain my case before I make my choice. So the trouble with this whole season is that the offense was a galactic disappointment. I mean that I think that's fair because it came in looking so solid in 2018. We thought, hey, this Matt Nagy guy looks pretty good. Uh, Mitch Trubisky obviously has a lot of talent. If things happen, if we get it together, we'll at least be a solid team that can run the ball, that can throw the ball, and we'll make noise. But that didn't happen. And like you said, because it's all a big mesh, because the offensive line fell off, that means we couldn't run the ball. Because they were decent in pass blocking, but the because they were, and based on everything that I've seen, they were better in pass blocking than they were in run blocking. Because they were better in pass blocking, but the quarterback fell off, meant we couldn't throw the ball. And all of it looked really bad on Matt Nagy's part. You got guys like Tariq Cohen that just weren't making near as efficient plays with their touches because while he did catch a ton of balls, JB, he did not pick up near the yardage that he picked up last year. And there, there were similar numbers. I have to put it on the quarterback, but the only reason I say that and I need to. I feel the need to make this clear because we were talking offline about worst play, and the worst play that we came up with comes from the Rams game. It's that sprint option that Trubisky just sort of panicked and pitched it out, and we lost four yards. And it should have been an easy one-yard pickup. I keep looking at this team. I keep looking at these games. I keep finding spots where any other quarterback in the league, not quite any, but a lot, would make either a better read post-snap or a better read pre-snap. And I keep realizing how often when the play clock clicks to 14, the team loses any understanding of what's going on. That if Matt Nagy's not able to talk to Trubisky, I'm not sure he's making any decisions. Another, a great example there, there's one where you can tell in the Giants game it takes way too long for the play call to get in, which is a problem, not pretending that's not on Matt Nagy. And they start to line up at about 12 seconds. You can literally see Cody Whitehair turning around screaming, let's go, let's go, let's go. And as the running backs and Cordero Patterson and Tariq Cohen are back in the backfield, they're looking at Trubisky like, what's going on here? And he's just panicking until timeout gets called. And there were a lot of moments like that. And I don't know how Mitch is mentally processing the game. I just don't know. But with that being where it was and with how high I know I was, I know JB certainly was, he picked him as the easy record setter for the season as far as most record likely to be set. It was an easy choice. Trubisky's going to break the single season passing record. He didn't. And I don't think it all falls on Mitch. EJ, you said that very well. It's a team effort. It's a team sport. This could have gone a lot better. You take a look at Ryan Tannehill of the Titans. It gets better if you've got a solid system around somebody. But this team was counting on their quarterback, and he didn't show up. At least that's where I land. Is that fair? Can we pick Mitchell Trubisky without 
uh, without too fine. much hesitation. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. And folks, as we've hit about the 43-minute mark, I think that's going to do it for this part one. We've got another half of the Staley's. We've got seven more categories to go through, as well as plenty of other end-of-season thoughts. Jeff and EJ are awesome. Can't thank them enough for coming on. And if you want to follow them, make sure you hit up EJ at the Draftsman FB and JB at, I believe it's Gridironborn. But keep an eye out for them on Twitter. They are awesome and Windy City Ground and everything else because the off season is when you want to be on Windy City Gridiron, especially, I think we're rad during the season, but the off season in particular is when I believe we really come out and shine. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, and you can find me on YouTube by the same name. Just recently put out a big breakdown on Charles Leno and how based on what I've seen from the film, I think he's getting a bad rap from Bears fans who believe he's terrible when in reality he's right at about league average, if not a little bit better. Can play anywhere from 10th to 20th best, and depending on the day. But hey, that's how left tackles are, and I'll probably honestly do a whole podcast or stream about him here in the near future. But that's enough about me. I'll get part two out sometime later this week. And until then, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me.